at ALCF. If you're looking to learn who Jesus is and what Christianity is all about, be sure to join us for What is Christianity, an informative session where you'll get your questions answered in a supportive and welcoming environment. As part of our Vision 2020 campaign, we've put together six incredible short-term missions trips to three different locations. We're very excited to say that in Mexico, we're building much-needed facilities. In the Philippines, we are having medical brigades, visiting co-ed jails, concerts with international, novice, and professional musicians, and preaching the love and gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In Zambia, we will be involved in orphanages, communities, and churches offering the same outreaches as the Philippines. Training for the Zambia trip begins on May 5th. And for more information, go to alcf.net slash global missions or go to the contributor station after service where you can also pick up a bookmark and a Vision 2020 wristband. Back by popular demand is another couple's night out focused on communication tools for your marriage toolbox. Come join the lively discussion and fellowship with other couples over a great meal. This event takes place on Saturday, May 11th from 5.30 to 8.30 p.m. in the Fellowship Hall and childcare is available with advanced registration. Make plans to join us on Sunday, May 12th for a special Mother's Day worship service celebrating our mothers and their unique contribution to our lives. Everyone has influence. The Global Leadership Summit is a unique opportunity to invite those in your sphere of influence to join you in receiving the best professional development from a diverse, world-class faculty. Stop by the chapel on Sunday, May 19th at noon to find out how you can share this amazing opportunity. Join us for a morning of general cleaning in and around the ALCF facility on Saturday, May 25th from 8 a.m. to 12 noon. This is a perfect project for your small group or family. We'll be sanitizing SK classrooms, power washing, spot cleaning carpeting, retouching paint, changing lighting, and more. For details, contact Arcadio Ramos at facilities at alcf.net or call 408-499-8043. To sign up for any of these upcoming events, go to alcf.net slash signups or check out the ALCF app. And remember, abundant life exists to make a better Father, we are grateful that we don't have to strive for something that uh, is so beyond us that you say, do it without me. You've already done it. You've secured it for us, Lord God, and we praise you that the victory is already ours. All we have to do is walk in it. Now, Father God, would you just bless us as we try to figure out exactly what does that mean in a world that is filled with temptations to worry and anxiety. And in some sense, Lord God, when we find ourselves living in anxiety, it's our attempt to do something that you've already done for us, and that is to conquer the enemy and secure our victory. So, Father, would you speak to us right now through your word, make it clear, make it plain, practical, and powerful. Use me, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. 
and amen. You may be seated. If you have your Bibles, please meet me in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 25. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 25. We put the scriptures on the screen because we acknowledge that uh, there are several of you who are here and maybe you don't own a Bible, you, don't, um, you wouldn't call yourself Christian. First, let me just say welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you that you are here. Uh, but I also want to encourage you, um, if you do call yourself a Christian, um, I also want to encourage you, make sure you bring your Bible to church. Um, don't just take what I say uh, for face value or what's on a screen. Have your own Bible with you. So you can take notes and be like there's a group of people in the scriptures called the Bereans who would, wouldn't just take what the teacher said at face value. They would test it for themselves uh, to know that what was being said, they would examine it, whether or not it was, it was being true. Here we go. Matthew chapter 6. Sorry, Matthew chapter 6. Pick me up. In verse 25, Jesus says these words, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive, tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O oh, you of little faith, therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of his God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If you're new with us this week, welcome, welcome, welcome. You picked a great week to hang out with us. We are in the second week of a series of a journey that we are simply calling Evicting Worry. Uh, my guess is all of us have dealt with issues of worry and anxiety. All of us have. So what is worry? I want to be careful to parse it out today because worry is not fear. Worry and fear are in the same family, but they're not siblings, they're more like cousins. Fear is the emotional response to an actual threat. 
Worry or anxiety is our emotional response to a perceived threat. I'll give that to you again. Fear is our emotional response to an actual threat. Anxiety is our emotional response to a perceived threat. Fear is what you may feel when you're about 35,000 feet in the air dealing with severe turbulence. Anxiety is what you may feel when you take your seat on the airplane before it takes off. You with me? Fear is when you sit down with your boss and they go through your performance uh, review and tell you things are not going well. Anxiety is what you feel driving to the office knowing you got to meet with the boss. Fear is our response to an actual threat. Anxiety is our response to a perceived threat. Jesus is not dealing with fear. He's dealing with anxiety. Anxiety tends to happen when earth becomes big and eternity becomes small. Anxiety happens when we lose focus and we function as if this life is all there really is. That's why I loved what Elder Glenn was sharing with us about giving. What motivates he and Kelly's giving is not the temporariness of this life, but the life to come. So anxiety is what happens when we just develop convenient amnesia and forget that this life is just a blip on the map of eternity. And this is exactly what Jesus is dealing with in our text. Um, he's just talking about this issue of anxiety and why are you freaking out about food and why are you freaking out about clothing? Very essential things. But in freaking about these things, he's picturing a person who is functioning as if this life is all there really is. And three times he says, don't be anxious, don't be anxious, don't be anxious. I've been on a few planes in my life. And it's a sobering thought to get on an airplane and to just think at any given moment, there's thousands of airplanes going through the sky. And then you up the ante a little bit. If you've ever flown into Atlanta or Chicago, two of the world's busiest airports, just to think in any given day, there's hundreds, if not thousands of planes that are landing just in those two airports every single day. And yet not one of those airplanes are allowed to land without the air traffic controller giving them permission. This morning, I want you to see yourself as the air traffic controller of your mind. Right now, there are thousands of thoughts flying across the sky of your mind. And as a pastor, I'd like to believe most of them are on this moment, and me preaching and so on and so forth. I learned a long time ago that's not the case. And yet, you need to understand that if a thought lands on the airstrip of your mind, it is because you gave it clearance. 
So if you are locked in anxiety, if you are a prisoner to anxious thoughts about tomorrow, you are the one who gave that thought permission to land. That's why you need to be what Paul talked about. You need to learn how to take every thought captive and to submit it to the authority of Christ. So if you're worrying, if you're worrying, if you're worrying, we understand that doesn't come from God. You gave those thoughts permission to land. This morning, I want to just make our way through Matthew chapter 6. It's one of the most practical passages in the Bible dealing with this whole subject matter of anxiety. I, I want to I just deal with, first of all, the place of anxiety. Then we're going to talk about the problems with anxiety. And finally, we're going to go home with some helpful prescriptions for anxiety. First of all, what is the place of anxiety? Please notice, if you're here with us this morning and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, again, welcome. Uh, I want you to understand we're in a section of the scriptures known as the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, the Sermon on the Mount is Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. Three chapters. And if you're here, again, and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, I want to encourage you, if you really want to know what the Christian life is about, hang out in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, it is the clearest description uh, of what it really means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Warning, warning though, if you read the Sermon on the Mount, you're going to feel overwhelmed. And there's going to be a pervasive sense of, are you kidding me? I can't do this. For example, Jesus says, uh, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. I say to you, if you even look at a woman with lust for her. I'm like, who hasn't failed that one? And there's going to be this sense in which I can't do this, I can't do this, and that's exactly the point. If you could, you wouldn't need a Savior. Now we come to Matthew chapter 6, which is right in the heart of the Sermon on the Mount. Our passage, he's dealing with anxiety, but it's interesting. We read some of the verses when we were preparing for our giving. It's our giving liturgy. Uh, those verses come from the immediate passage that bumps up against our passage. And what does Jesus talk about in the verses before our text? He talks about abundance and money and possessions. And right at the end of talking about money and possessions, what does he do? Not by coincidence, he now talks about worry and anxiety. Listen to what Jesus is saying in context. It is so counterintuitive to the American mindset. Here's what he's saying. Abundance and possessions don't solve worry. In fact, the more one has, the more one tends to worry. See, some of us are thinking, man, if, if I could just make a little bit more money, I'll be at peace. If I could just have that job, I'll be at peace. If I could just have, you know, a few more kids, I'll be good. Well, I'm not thinking that. Anybody with me on that one? I'm kind of good right now. Jesus is saying, listen, abundance does not eradicate worry. It really only facilitates worry. Uh, go ahead and put the image on the screen. You're looking at um, a guy by the name of Howard Hughes. Howard Hughes. He is um, one of the richest, wealthiest individuals who ever walked the face of the earth. Billionaire, several times over. You're also looking at the poster child for worry and anxiety. 
If you study his life, here's an individual who was just fraught with worry. He spent decades sequestered in isolation in hotels. Uh, he was worried about catching germs or some kind of disease. People could only get within so many feet of him. If they walked into the room, they had to take a certain amount of tissues to uh, turn the doorknob, only a certain distance. And when he got into a car, he gave his driver instructions. You can never drive faster than 35 miles per hour. He was that filled with worry and anxiety, and he was also a billionaire. He's only illustrating what Jesus taught. The more one has, the more one tends to worry. We Americans should get this. We're one of the wealthiest nations ever in the history of the world. And yet every single year we spend well north of $300 billion on stress-related diseases. Prosperous, filled with anxiety. So wipe it from your mind. If you think... A certain pay thing or a certain car or a certain house and a certain zip code is going to solve your anxiety. It is not. Only Jesus can. What's the place of anxiety? This life. In fact, he goes on to say in verse 34, therefore do not be anxious about your life dot, 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 sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is exactly what Jesus had in mind in John chapter 16, verse 33. Will you look at it with me on the screen? Jesus said, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation or trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. It is impossible to get away from the presence and the temptation of anxiety. Why? Because we are in a world that is stained by sin, and because of that, there's trouble. It has nothing to do with your walk with the Lord. Some of what you're experiencing is not because you've done anything wrong. Fire your inner lawyer. It's just called inhaling and exhaling in this life. There'll be trouble on your job. There'll be trouble with your coworkers. There'll be trouble with your roommates. There'll be trouble on campus. There'll be, wherever you turn, wherever there's people, there's going to be trouble. And you know, as a parent, I used to think, man, once my kids turn 18 and leave the house, 18 and leave the house, that's the prayer, <laughs> that trouble will walk out the door, and the temptation to worry and be anxious will walk out the door. I used to think that until I watched my sister go through a horrific divorce a couple years ago in her 30s, and then looking at the anxiety on my parents' face, and it dawned on me, there was kind of an epiphany, you never stop really worrying about your kids. So I want you to hear me, while we cannot evade or avoid the presence of anxiety, we can avoid the prison of anxiety. While we cannot avoid the presence of anxiety, we can avoid the prison of anxiety. How? 
Next, let me show you three problems right from our text that Jesus shows us about anxiety. Three times he says, do not be anxious. Do not be anxious. Do not be anxious. You'll be hard-pressed to find another teaching of Jesus where he gives three negative statements around the same subject in the same passage. In fact, uh, the original language here is the language of Greek, and in Greek, this phrase, do not be anxious, it's what we call an imperative or a command. And the idea of an imperative or a command, you've got to always read it in its emotional context so that Jesus is probably saying it like this. It has a sense of urgency. Don't be anxious. Don't be anxious. Don't be anxious. Why? Three problems with anxiety. Number one, it's offensive. It's offensive. It's offensive. Notice with me, if you will, the predominant name used for deity in our text. It's the name Father. Jesus postures God as not just being some detached, aloof deity, but as an intimate father who is deeply concerned about your life. In fact, he goes on to use arguments from lesser to greater. He says in so many words, if you struggle with anxiety, I would stop right now and look to the birds. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly father feeds them. Birds aren't in some worm savings plan. They don't have a, you know, 401k for their worms. They just live from day to day. I'm hungry, let me get enough for today to feed my babies, feed myself. Feed them, wake up the next day, hungry again. Let me go out and find some more worms. They're not anxious about it. Birds don't have receding hairlines. <laughs> They're not coloring their hair. Every day is just active trust, active trust, active trust, active trust. Then he says, look at the lilies. They're temporal. In fact, the lilies he's talking about are a Palestinian version of lilies that would literally just bloom one day. All this glory. One day. You, you thought you were temporal. They're here for a day. And as temporal as they are, God takes care of them. And then he goes, do you not realize you're of much more value? Now, I got to say this in California. I, don't, I wouldn't have to make this statement anywhere else. You're more valuable than your pet. <laughs> I promise you I'm going to email on that one. I promise you. Fido was not created in the image of God. Okay. Just got, I just got to tell you that. I just got to tell you that. I know I'm in trouble for saying that. Okay. Okay. But it's a progression from lesser to greater. If God hooks up birds and lilies, he's going to hook you up. He's your father. Watch this. So my son just started driving, my, my, my oldest son, and he's a good driver. But he's a new driver. 
So when I get in the car with him, you know, and he's driving us to work, my life is literally in his hands. And we're going down to 87, and there are times when I'm pumping my air brakes, <laughs> freaking out, telling him to slow down, you know, getting on him for, you know, stop relying just on your mirrors. You need to look over your shoulder. You, there's blind spots, and there's stress here. And he's all ticked off. Why? Because my anxiety is communicating, I don't trust you. Your anxiety is not cute. It actually ticks God off. Because your worry sends one message. I don't trust you. I don't trust you. God says, don't you know who I am? I mean, you're freaking out about a job. I fed over a million people called the nation of Israel every day with manna from heaven. Why the urgency? Because anxiety is offensive. It unleashes a vicious assault on the sovereignty of God. Secondly, anxiety is pointless. I love verse 27. You look at verse 27. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? <laughs> anxiety and worry never got you a job. Anxiety and worry never put money in your account. Anxiety and worry won't get you into the school, school of your dreams. Anxiety and worry won't make that kid act right. Anxiety and worry ain't going to change your situation. In fact, studies actually show that anxiety and worry actually make it worse than better. It's useless. Then in verse 32, he not only tells us that anxiety is offensive, not only is it offensive, it's pointless, but thirdly, he doesn't pull any punches here. He says it is flat out ungodly and worldly. He says, verse 31, therefore do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? Here it is, verse 32, for the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them all. If you read through the scriptures, one of the things that's clear, especially in the New Testament, the New Testament uses the word Gentiles in two predominant ways. One way it uses it is to speak of um, an ethnically different people group. That's not how he uses it here. Here he's using it to speak of people who don't know God, who aren't in relationship with God. And so when he talks about Gentiles, he's talking about worldly people. And he says, and these Gentiles seek after all these things. The phrase seek after in the original language of this text, which is Greek. It's actually one word in the Greek. It literally means, here it is, to be obsessed over. Worldly people, by very definition, are obsessing over this world. So when you're filled with anxiety about the things of this world, you join the company of the ungodly. 
what differentiates the Christian from the non-Christian, it's not that we don't have trouble. Both groups have trouble. It's that trouble is an awesome opportunity to put your trust outside of yourself, outside of this world, and into an eternal, benevolent God. So it's the Gentiles, the Gentiles, they... See, that's why I just want you to look at, just stop. Something happens to you. Just something happens to you. All of a sudden, maybe the doctor's office calls you and something funky is happening with your blood work or whatever it may be. Or maybe there's some notice about your job and something happens. And just out of the blue, whatever, you may feel a lump on your chest, whatever, whatever. I'm not calling this to be stoic. Jesus isn't saying, therefore, do not be concerned. It's okay to be concerned. But anxiety is steps beyond that. It, it is stewing. It is marinating in the crock pot of distrust. So when something happens, you at some point, you got to tell yourself. So you you, you got to learn to stop listening to yourself and start preaching to yourself. And one of the things you got to tell yourself is, this is an awesome opportunity to display where my trust really is. See, some of us have had stress tests. What do they do in a stress test? The doctor wants to know, let's see what's going on in your heart. And what the stress test says is the only way to really get to know what's going on in your heart is we're going to hook you up to a cardio machine and push your body to the limit. When trouble comes, they're God's stress tests. Let's see what's really in your heart. Let's see what you're really obsessing over. And that's why when we talk about worry and anxiety, let's round third and head for home. How do we practically deal with it? You need a distraction. You need a distraction. My youngest son, Jaden, like any other kid, he hates needles. Uh, he's the biggest kid, that, uh, that uh, biggest baby in our family that came into the world. Um, and, you know, he was a handful, especially going to the doctor, and he knew the needle was coming. Man, he was squirming. He was hard to deal with, filled with anxiety. Now, I'm sure this is probably not the best doctor practice, but the doctor's like, we got to get this done. And in order to get this done, he figured out my son, Jaden, like most kids, loves candy. So he would walk in the doctor with the needle behind his back and a big sour apple blow pop exposed in his right hand. Jaden would see this sour apple blow pop, would be distracted by it, take the wrapper off of it, start licking it a couple of times, and while he's licking it, the doctor would stick him. I know that's not nice. <laughs> Jaden would whimper a little bit, look like he want to fight the dude, and then would go back to licking the lollipop. What helped him overcome his anxiety was he was distracted by something else. Jesus says when you deal with uh, temptations towards worry and anxiety in this life, you've got to be distracted by the life to come. That's why he says in verse 33, same word as verse 32, but seek, seek, seek. First, the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. That word seek, same word as verse 32, it means to obsess. Watch it. You can't obsess over two things at the same time. 
You can't both obsess over the world and obsess over the kingdom at the same time. So you've got to allow yourself, when I'm going through, I'm not going to sit in this life. I'm not going to sit in the worry of this world. I'm going to lift my eyes off of obsessing over what could be, and I'm going to put down Google and stop acting like I'm a doctor and diagnosing myself. I'm going to obsess over the life to come. This isn't just a one and done thing, as I shared with you last week. These are probably multiple decisions you'll have to make throughout a day. I'm putting worry down. I'm picking God up. I'm picking God and his kingdom up. I'm going to stop worrying about that. I'm going to fix my focus on who God is. I'm going to go to him in prayer. He says, you can do this because all throughout, finally, he says, you've got a good father. You have a good father. Listen to me. I just, I just, you know, many of you guys have done this drive. I just, you know, my kid goes off to college in, uh, in, in late August, and uh, we're sitting there looking at the bill and, you know, the room and board stuff and all this other stuff that's, you know, coming our way, and Lord have mercy. My wife and I are going through it. You know, we're looking at the bills last night and his first payment for housing and food and all this. And they're asking me what, pay, uh, what, what food plan he wants. I'm like, you got like a one meal a day plan or whatever it may be. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? He, you know, he didn't have to eat the other two meals a day, whatever. Anyways, um, so we're just trying to figure all this out. But listen, before he even came into the world, we had a college savings plan set up for him. And we were just putting some stuff away, just a little bit away. Hear me. In his 18 years, he's never been like, hey, Dad, what's going on with college plan? What's going on with savings plan, Dad? Not one question. He operates off of an assumption. In fact, he assumes a bit too much. He assumes food's going to be there. He assumes provision. He assumes that. He's not fretting over it. This is exactly Jesus' words in our text. You have a father who's thinking about stuff way before you even got here. That's why you have to be in the Bible for yourself. See, when the word talks about in Philippians chapter 4, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's anything of excellence, think about these things. So when you're tempted to question, can God provide, you got to go, what's true? What's true is God has a long track record in the scriptures of stepping into impossible situations and figuring them out. Come here, Abraham and Sarah. We don't know how we get pregnant. We don't know how this is going to happen. God steps into it. A child named Isaac comes. Come here, Israel. We're pinched between the Red Sea and Egypt. Don't know how this is going to happen. God says, Moses, stretch forth your hand. Red Sea opens up. Come here, children of Israel. Don't know how we're going to eat. Million of us out here. How's this going to happen? Forty years, manna rains down from heaven. In fact, God sent them so much quail one time they got sick of it. Come here, Daniel. Think he wrestled with anxiety in the lion's den? God stepped into that. And if God can step into that, 
He can handle whatever it is you are going through. Your situation is God's lightweight. It's God's lightweight. You ain't literally dealing with a Red Sea. He gave you a Bay Bridge. In fact, would you just think about your own life? Would you move from the Bible to the record of God's faithfulness in your own life? The very fact you're here, you are a living testimony to a faithful God who has stepped into situations and has hooked you up. In fact, I love what William Barclay says, will you just let these words bless you? Those who feed their hearts on the record of what God has done in the past will never worry about the future. Worry refuses to learn the lesson of life. We are still alive and our heads are still above water. And yet if someone had told us that we would have to go through what we have actually gone through, we would have said that it was impossible. The lesson of life is that somehow we have been enabled to bear the unbearable and to pass the breaking point and not to break. The lesson of life is that worry is unnecessary. But, but, this ain't no shouting stuff I'm about to tell you. I'm not going prosperity. There will be some situations in your life God will not get you out of. The very fact that all of us are terminal means we will get a bad doctor's report and God will say, I'm not going to cure that. And you're just going to have to trust me. Why? Because if God gave us everything we asked for, he would not be a good God. He would be an abusive God. If I gave my kids everything they asked for, that is not good parenting. Are you with me on that? So y'all quiet because this is un-American. You want to keep naming and claiming and confessing and possessing and nabbing and grabbing and reach up and get it. And you're going to reach up one time, ain't nothing going to be there. Why does God do this? Because some gifts are greater and more necessary than what you would even think to ask. Sometimes God has to say, I'm not going to give you what you're asking for because I have a greater gift called patience. Thank you, seven people who clapped. So you got to be careful who you let speak into your life. Because we are trying to make God into our own image. And God is a good father who's more concerned about your growth, development, good, and his glory than your happiness. So you need to learn to say, and I need to learn to say what Daniel and the three Hebrew boys, excuse me, what the three Hebrew boys said. Daniel wasn't there. Daniel chapter 3. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, I know you're going to throw us into this thing, but our God is able See, we don't preach enough on this. We, we love preaching. He's able. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Ha! 
But what we don't preach about is the second part of what they say. But even if he does not. Don't you understand? Again, I love what Elder Glenn shared about eternity, using eternity to navigate the earth. See, when you really understand, God had a greater headache than the lion's den to deal with. And that headache is you and I had worked up a debt with him that could not be paid. God says, how am I going to get him out of this jam? I can't compromise my justice and just let them walk scot-free. The bill's got to be paid. Jesus says, I'll pay the bill. I'll live the life they couldn't live. I'll die the death they should have died. And watch it. I know it sounds sacrilegious, but if you just read the Gospels, like Matthew 26, going to the cross, he takes a pit stop in the Garden of Gethsemane. And what happens in Gethsemane? He's tempted with anxiety because he knows what's going to happen to him. But when tempted with anxiety, he turns it over to God and he goes in prayer and he calls the disciples, will you pray with me? Father, if there's any other way I can get out of this, would you get me out of this? But nevertheless, not my will, your will be done even if it doesn't work out the way I want it to. What happens to Jesus when he emerges from the garden, obsessing over God, praying to God? He's the picture of peace. It's a picture of peace. And on the cross, what does he shout out? It is finished. It is finished. Which means this, if you are in Christ what Jesus has said applies for you. It is finished. And even if he doesn't get me out of this mess, I'm going to reign with him and worship him and hang with him for all of eternity. Oh, I love American Idol. Forgive me, forgive me. I love American Idol. It's really a show about anxiety, is it not? As the competition progresses and the rounds go on, I mean, one wrong note, one wrong song, you're done. The anxiety gets ratcheted up, and then what happens at the end? They declare the winner, and then if you track with the show, what happens? After the winner is announced, the winner sings. The same song they sung before, but this time they sing it with no anxiety. Why? Because it's finished. I've won the competition. Even though millions of people are watching, I am not performing for approval, but from approval. That's for those of us who are in Christ. He's conquered it. It's over. It's done with. So I don't have to worry what's going to happen to me. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. It's finished. It's finished. Easier said than done, I know. I know, but these are things you have to tell yourself. The doctor does not own your life. Jesus does, and he's a good father who is in control, 
and he calls the shot. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And I love it. And all these things will be added unto you. Stories told of an explorer who was leaving um, the presence of the queen. And the queen called him back because she had been trying to negotiate with him. She wanted him to leave and go on this exploration. And he's going, well, I'd love to, but I just started this business here. And, and I've got to take care of this business. And I'm worried if I leave for a long period of time, the business will collapse. And she says, well, where's the business? He goes, it's right down the street here in London. She goes, don't you understand I rule London? If you take care of my business, I'll take care of yours. That's Matthew 6.33, friends. If we take care of God's business, he will take care of ours. God is in control. So, Father, again, easier said than done. Trouble will come knocking. And it's got all different sizes and shapes and colors to it. But God, would eternity be infinitely bigger in our mind than this earth? Oh God, I pray for your people. I know right now, sitting under this word, there are people dealing with all kinds of stresses and strains in their lives. And it feels unbearable. God, would they release it to you, we pray. Now as we turn to the table, we thank you for a Savior who, when he was tempted towards anxiety, went to prayer in the garden, turned it over to you, had anxiety got the best of him, he wouldn't have gone to the cross and we would be lost. So we thank you, Jesus, that you are our model. Step in, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to end by going to the cross. Uh, I want our elders and prayer team members, and did we just fan out across the front? Listen, uh, those serving communion, you're, you're going to pre prepare as well. We're going to do a couple things right now. Some of us are going to come to the table. The Bible says that we should examine ourselves. Communion is for people who are in relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. So the bad news is if you are not a follower of Jesus Christ, communion is not for you. But the good news is you can become a follower of Jesus Christ today. You can just come to one of our prayer team members, elders, pastors, whoever, and we'd love to show you how to have a relationship with Jesus. And so in just a few moments, the Spirit of God's going to release you. You're going to come to the table. You're going to take the elements. You're going to take them back with you to your seat until we can all partake together. Some of you, this was a word in season for you, right where you're at. And, and you want someone to pray with you because you're, you're just dealing with a lot. We've all been there. Life is heavy for you right now. There's a lot of stress that you're dealing with. We'd love to pray with you. So maybe while communion is happening, you might want to just stop by one of our friends down front and just say, hey, can you pray with me? I'm dealing with worry and anxiety. Would you just pray with me? And we'd love to pray with you over that. But let's turn it over to Jesus. Don't rush to the table. Spirit of God, through his word, says, let a person examine themselves. Let the spirit of God just speak to you. Sit, worship him. And then when he releases you, come to the table or come to one of our friends down front, and we'd love to pray with you. But let's silently reflect for a few moments right now.